Good morning. morning. It is a gorgeous day. Um, Praise God. I love the sunshine. Oh, I mean the rain. Yeah, that's that's good too, right? Uh, It's good to be a part of a family, a community of believers that care for one another, share life with one another. Um, It's good to be here with, with all of you. For those that are watching online, great to have you. Um, if, if we haven't met, my name is Scott. I'm the other Scott, okay? I'm the Scott they bring up once in a while to teach so that you really, really are excited when Pastor Scott comes back, okay? So um, as, as most of you will know, we've, we are in a series called Kingdom Go. Now, now this series is going through the book of Acts, and prior to that, we went through the book of Luke, talking about the kingdom come. When, when Christ came to earth, he proclaimed that the kingdom had come. The kingdom of God had come. And now the book of Acts, we're looking at kingdom go. How did the church mobilize then? How do we mobilize now? What does it look like to go and to share? And I've got to tell you, um, Pastor Scott gave me chapters 13 and 14, and wanted me to cover that in like 25 minutes. Are you ready for this? And I really wrestled with that. I'll be honest. I struggled for, for a couple of weeks. Like, what am I supposed to do? And, and, and so my heart's prayer to God was, what do you want to tell me about these two chapters? And what do you want to tell my family about these two chapters? And he began to work in me some things. So we're going to look at an overview. We're not going to do this detail thing through the chapters so much. A little bit of that. But I I want you to know right up front that these lights are great because I can't see any of you. So so just know there is a huge mirror right here. And I'm talking to myself. And if God stirs your heart while I'm talking to myself with what God's been talking to me about the last couple of weeks, then praise God. It's a win. So Father, we we come to you right now. And and Father, we pray in in, in your son Jesus' name that your will would be accomplished, that your purposes would be accomplished in the hearts of your people today. And we also continue to pray for those families that didn't have their veterans return. Comfort their hearts this weekend specifically. Guard their hearts. Give them your peace and overshadow them with your love in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, short story. Back when I was a sophomore in high school, picture that, okay? Hair, thin waistline, eh, not really. Anyway, I was a sophomore in high school, and a friend of mine, his name is Danny, we decided to go out and, and have fun on a late October night. I think it was called Halloween. Um, and of course, we got in trouble. Um, we decided at one point it would be just a great idea to take a few dozen eggs and, and get the principal's house. <laughs> Disclaimer, people, do not egg homes or cars. Evelyn, never, ever. <laughs> it destroys paint, okay? So anyway, we got in trouble. I won't go into all the details because it takes too long. But the, the next school day, as was the custom, Danny walks to my house because I had the car so we could drive to school, 1950, flathead six, three on the tree, Ford, primer gray. Bought it myself, $110. Did that tell you a little bit about it? Okay. 
But before we got to school, Danny and I decided to heck with it. We're going to run away from home. We're headed to California because we don't need this stuff. We don't need all these people watching over us. So um, being naive, we didn't know where we were going. We ended up that night in Cheyenne, Wyoming. That's where the car broke down. (laughs) And uh, we spent the night in the car. I do remember it was extremely cold. And the next morning, we hear this little tap, tap, tap on the glass of the car. And we look up, and there's a police officer. He was gracious enough to take us to his facilities and put us in a room. I thought, how nice. Pocket and turn it off. And, and three days later, he was gracious enough to come down and open the door and take us out to the, the front office. And there our dads were. Yeah. Here's what I want you to get. Our dads were compelled to come get us. They were compelled to put gas in a car, drive for hundreds of miles, take time off work. They were compelled to come get us and take us home. I'd like to think they were compelled out of love. Could have been anger. Could have been embarrassment. But they were compelled. And that's the word I want you to grasp today. If you get nothing else out of this message today, I want you to grasp that word compelled. Okay? Because the, the, the overarching view, view of what we're looking at in the book of Acts is kingdom go, but today I want you to grasp compelled. Okay? Um, and so, so as God was stirring this in my heart and, and saying, okay, what are, what are you telling me, God? What do you want to tell us? Um, an, another story of, of being compelled came to mind, and that was Isaiah back in Isaiah 6. If you remember, he was in the temple. He was in the presence of God, and he goes, whoa, it's me. I'm unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm, 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 I'm terrible. And then the angel of the Lord came down and touched the hot coal to his lips and said, your, your guilt is taken away. You have been atoned for. Your sin has been atoned for. And then he heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who shall go for me? And Isaiah was compelled to say, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Compelled. So we see that same, same process in, in the first couple chapters of, of the, um, excuse me, in the first couple verses of chapter 13. Um, much like Isaiah was compelled in verses 2 through 5 of Acts 13, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Okay, so picture this. It's a church service, kind of like this, right? They're praising God. They're worshiping. And, And as they're in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul and send them off, okay? So this is a great missionary message, of course, but you've got to stop and think, if that happened today, in this church, in this, in this, this building, and two of our leaders, here's what I want you to get. Barnabas and Saul were key leaders in that church. They were prophets, they were teachers, and the church was ready to send off their very best to go do what God called them to do and support them in that. That's a big thing right there. So, Saul, I love Saul. He's a man after my own heart. Oh, that was King David. Sorry. What can I say? You know, I, 
sometimes just kind of go haywire. No, but, but I, I do like Saul. You got to remember, we, we looked at Saul. Pastor Scott was talking about Saul earlier um, in, in the series. And, and one of the things that we remember about Saul was he held the cloaks, the coats, when Stephen was stoned. Stephen was, was preaching the gospel. Saul was against the gospel. He held the coats, which basically said, I'm in favor of this. Stone him. And then he asked for letters so that he could ravage the church because he was anti-Christian. He wanted nothing to do with Christ. And then Pastor Scott also shared about the road to Damascus, miraculous conversion of Saul. All right? So we see this man who, who used to be a non-believer fighting the church, and now he's a believer. But here's what I want you to understand. This didn't just happen yesterday. Barnabas and Saul are now being called out. Saul's conversion was over a decade ago. I mean, it was just a few chapters, right, in the book of Acts. But it was over a decade ago. There's been a lot that has gone on during that process of him learning from the Lord and from the disciples. And, and Barnabas, this is what I'm, I want to point out. There's little mini teachings all through this stupid thing. I'm sorry. But Barnabas latched on to Saul. Because Saul came back to Jerusalem after he'd spent years learning of the Lord. And he came back to the, to the disciples saying, I want to be a part of you. I, I'm walking in faith now. I want to be with you. And they said, oh, no way. We don't believe you. We don't think you're a disciple. And, I, and this is what I like to picture. Barnabas putting his arm around Saul and bringing him to the disciples and saying, this is a man walking in faith. We need to embrace him and bring him into our community. So Barnabas and Saul are called out, but their ties have been going on for a long time. There's strength of being together. And, and what I want to talk about there is just that, that community of believers. God didn't place you where you're at today. He didn't place me where I'm at today by happenstance. There's people in my life that, that God wants to, to form strong ties with so that we can promote the gospel of Christ together. And we see that in this church. We see people that were grown up together promoting the gospel of Christ. I just love that. And so as I was wrestling with, okay, God, am I supposed to preach a missionary message? And all of a sudden, God just revealed to me another passage that really brought this home, and that's Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, to the whole church, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, therefore go. And, and we use that a lot also to send missionaries out. But, but, but kingdom go is not just about sending missionaries. That's great. Don't get me wrong. I'm all about that. But it's also to let us know that we are all missionaries. I'm a missionary. I'm an ambassador of Christ. That, that phrase, therefore go, if translated properly, really means as you go. It's not just, you know, as you go, kicking people out to other countries, just as you go. As I go about my life, as I go about my day, as I go about my week, make disciples. As I go through my life. And that, that sheds a whole nother light on it. And, and so this is for all of us. And I do believe, and our home group's been talking about this, I do believe there are paths that God directs us down. <clears throat> and so how do, we, how do we hear God's voice? 
And so I go back to how did Isaiah hear God's voice? How did Barnabas and Saul hear God's voice? They heard his voice when they were in his presence. And that's a whole other message. How, how, what does it mean to be in the presence of God? Our home group talked about that last week. It was, you know, it was great. But what does that mean and, and what does that look like? But that's where we hear his voice. <clears throat> so really, honestly, if you don't want to hear his voice, if you don't, don't want to know what, what path he has for you, stay on the fringe. Just stay way out there and don't get in his presence and you'll never know. How's that for blunt? (laughs) That's what God spoke to me. Are you on the fringe? That's what he asked me. I'm not kidding. This message really, really stirred my heart. So why is it important? What is so important about proclaiming the gospel of Christ? What is so important... um, there has to be. There is this compelling purpose. There's that word again. There is this compelling purpose. We see a call, but now there's a compelling purpose. It says in 1338, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And again, the law, if you didn't know, the law shows us our brokenness. It shows us our sin, but it can't fix us. Jesus took the punishment that's rightfully mine on the cross and died in my place to atone for my sins. That's pretty compelling, all right? Salvation... Redemption, the saving of of human beings from death and separation from God for eternity. That's what salvation is. Salvation brings a reconciliation so that we are reconciled to God for eternity versus being outside of his presence for eternity. Now that's a pretty compelling purpose, I think. And God, again, was stirring that up in my heart. Am I compelled to know the truth of that message? That with, without being connected, without being, being, being able to receive the gift of, of, of Christ's love and salvation and hope and breaking us from, from the sins that we're in, is going to also keep me outside of the presence of God for eternity. Is that something that resonates on my heart? That should compel me to be able to to move forward and to proclaim the gospel. And the Bible specifically says, without any possible interpretation, that there's one way to God. There's one faith. There's one God the Father. And the only way through him, to him, is through his son, Jesus Christ. His sacrificial death on the cross. His subsequent resurrection from the grave. That is the way to be reconciled to God. And, and I've got to say, you know, how many of you know there's really nothing new under the sun? There really isn't. We struggle with the same things in our society that they struggled with way back when. But I really do believe that there's a bombardment at this time in our lives of false teachings, false religions, rising up. And, and many people have these itching ears to hear something that sounds good. That sounds like, you know, hey, I, I, I kind of like that, okay? Um, 
But I want to read some scriptures, and, and I can't, boy, I had a bunch of them, so I had to, this is where I had to whittle down. I told, I told the pre-service, um, or I don't know what they call it. What are you guys when you put the service together? Meeting. No, oh, thank you, Steve. <laughs> I told the people, <laughs> gosh, I love you, Steve. I told the people in the pre-meeting of the service, I said, when I first put this message together, it was 55 minutes long. I said, I would never get through that. I'd fall asleep myself. Okay? But a lot of that was because I found so many fantastic scriptures talking about the truth that it's only through Christ. But I'm going to read a a few of them here. Acts 4.12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God... One mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. John fourteen six, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John three fifteen sixteen, which all of us know and love. For God so loved the world that he gave us only begotten Son. It's the Holy Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And John 5, 24 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. It is only through Christ. There's one way to the Father. And that is a compelling reason, a compelling purpose for us to be missionaries and ambassadors for the gospel of Christ because it is the only way that people outside of the kingdom of God will be able to be reconciled with their heavenly Father for eternity. For eternity. Think about that. You see, outside of of accepting that gift, and that's all it is. It's just accepting the gift that Christ gave, the gift of salvation, the gift of him taking upon himself our punishment. Outside of that, people will spend an eternity outside of a relationship with their Heavenly Father. There is, there is so very, very much more to this life than what we see with our physical, finite eyes. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time, I really do, I have a hard time sometimes understanding eternity. Well, I mean, how do you understand eternity? Outside of my physical body, who would want to get rid of this? Okay, Joel, right? Who would want to get rid of this physical body? But, but eternity is not finite, it, it's infinite, and we have to grasp that. I have to grasp that. God was hammering me for the last two weeks. Do you realize that these people in your space, that these people that you work with, that these people that you see, if they don't accept this gift, are going to be outside of a, re- a reconciled relationship with me for eternity. Does that ring in your heart, Scott? That's what God's been speaking to me the last couple of weeks. And again, there's this mirror, okay? My wife says sometimes when I'm passionate, I get a little harsh. Forgive me if that comes across. But I'm passionately speaking to myself. It's pretty compelling. Definitely a calling. And I think what we just looked at through the book, chapters 13, some of those verses out of uh, 
um, about also about Christ and, and him being the only way to God the Father. That's a pretty compelling purpose for us to go out and share what God's done for us, testify, witness what he's done for us, which is really all, all we're supposed to do, right? Now, the third part, and this is the part I really like, there may be, no, no, there will be conflict. There will be opposition, and we see that we're going to look at some instances uh, that, that Barnabas and Saul had, but there will be conflict. And how, do, how, do, how is that handled? How do I handle rejection? How do I handle maybe not being the most popular person at work because, because I'm, I'm talking about Christ, and people don't want to hear that? Now, I, I, a caveat on that is, is I, we, we have to strive to be non-offensive. We, we don't want to offend people. We want to talk to them uh, with love and kindness and care, it's not like we're out there, I'm not saying we, we go out there and pound the gospel into people's brains because we don't. We want to do it in a loving, kind way. But the gospel in and of itself can be offensive. It can be offensive to somebody living outside of the kingdom of God. What, you're telling me I'm broken? You're telling me that I'm, I'm bound up with sin? I love, Emily talked about being freed from sin. I'm bound up. I'm broken. I, there's sin in my life. What does that mean? <laughs> defense, 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 right? Okay. So we have to be very careful about how we, we talk to people. And yet we have to be compelled to share the truth. Compelled to the point we see in Barnabas and Saul to endure physical pain. Not just being unpopular, they, they got hurt. We see in the early church martyrs of people who were put to death for the gospel of Christ. Why? Because the message is extremely important. There's that compelling purpose again. So we're going to look at some conflicts, maybe some of the ways they handled the conflict. It says in chapter 13, verse 7 through 10, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas, and it wasn't me, just telling you that, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God, but Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But I love this. But Saul, who was called Paul, stands up and just blasts him and says, basically, get out of my way. Okay? Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Get out of my way. This person summoned me to hear the truth of the gospel, and you will not stand in my way. Okay? <sighs> Mini message. It says Saul, who was also called Paul. And Pastor Scott mentioned this a couple weeks ago too, but Paul's Jewish name was Saul, which meant asked for, sought after. Think back to King Saul when the Jewish people wanted a king. They asked for that king. That was his Hebrew name. His Greek name, Latin name, was Paul. And Pastor Scott pointed out that means small, little. And so you see this, this switch from I'm somebody to I'm dependent on you. All right? But what I really want to bring across here, not so much that, is I, I've, heard, I've heard teachings about how I could get in trouble. Uh, turn the mic off, guys. Uh, um, I could, I've heard teachings about how Saul was his pre-conversion name. And Paul was his conversion name. But we found out earlier that Saul has been living a life of faith for over a decade. And he's still been called Saul. 
This is the first time in Scripture that he's called Paul, and it's the last time in Scripture that he's called Saul. So why? I think it's significant. That's why I'm bringing it up. If we look down in verse 45 and 46, it says, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out loudly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, the Jewish people, and since you've thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, that's a strong message right there. I can't go into it, don't have time. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. This is the point where Saul is now turning the bulk of his ministry to the Gentiles. And I believe this name switch was intentional by Paul to fit in a little better with the culture that he was going to talk to. I mean, wasn't it Paul who made the comment, I'll become all things to all men, thereby I may win some? Now, we may never go to another country and have to understand the culture of that country. But I guarantee you, my workplace culture is different than your workplace culture. And what, what is, is God telling me I may need to do in my work culture to get them to receive what I have to say a little bit better. I'm not saying you go live their lives, lifestyles, you go party. I'm not, don't go down that road. But what I am saying is there's some things that we have to be able to lay down and pick up and maybe switch in our vocabulary or thought processes to be better relatable to the people that we're talking with. So again, I, I believe this was an intentional switch by Paul to specifically fit in a little bit better with the culture that he was going to start talking to. Acts 13, 50, 51 says, But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Again, we're looking at conflicts that happen. So, so now they're being driven out. They're, they didn't want to hear the truth of the gospel. So in this instance, it says... Uh, Barnabas and Paul shook off the dust from their feet against them and went on to Iconium. You ever want to just do that? <laughs> Shake off your dust, you know? What that basically means is we're no longer responsible for you. We're no longer responsible for you. It, it's much like you saw with Pilate when they brought Christ before Pilate. And at one point he symbolically went over, got a basin of water and washed his hands. Said, I wash my hands of this matter. It's on you. And that's same same principle. And, and I bring this up because I think that's a really strong message for us today. It's a strong message for any missionary. It's a strong message for any ambassador. It's a strong message for any Christian. It's not my duty to debate somebody to accept Christ. It's not my duty. My duty is not to, to go out and try to convert somebody. It's my duty to bear witness to the truth of how the gospel has affected me and freed me and reconciled me with my heavenly father. And the gospel is there to reconcile you to your heavenly father as well. So we're to bear witness. And then the big part is we're then to disciple those who do make that decision. That's our big, our big push to make disciples, to teach, to train, to give people a place to learn, to grow, to be safe as they grow, because none of us go from A to B just like that. It's a process. We proclaim the truth of the gospel. The Holy Spirit will draw men. To, okay? 
Acts 14, 4 through 7. We see that the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles, and there was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. This is me. But they found out and ran. (laughs) I'm getting out of here. It says they found out about it and they fled. They fled that city and went to Lystra and Derby, to the surrounding country where they didn't leave their message or their mission. It says where they continued to preach the gospel. They didn't quit their mission. They just went someplace where it might be received better. Sometimes that happens. We have to be okay with that. Okay? And then it says, in Lystra, where they went to, there was a man who was lame. I love this, because he'd been lame from birth. He listened to Paul, and at one point, Paul looked at him and said, stand up on your feet. And this man miraculously stands up. He's been lame since birth. Fantastic miracle happened. Okay? Man. And it says, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they started shouting, the gods have come down. And, and they wanted to, they wanted to um, bring sacrifices to them and wanted to worship them as gods. And Barnabas and Paul, it says, they heard this and they tore their clothes and they shouted, why are you doing this? We're just men. We're just men. Why are you doing this? And I pinpointed this one because I have seen in my life, now just so you guys will know, I, I begin my faith walk in 19... 19- <clears throat> And so I've been walking this walk for a while. I've seen a lot of things. And, and one of the things that I've seen, and maybe you've seen it too, but you see this mighty move of God through a specific ministry or a specific person. And all of a sudden, the, it starts welling up. Wow, look at me. Look what God is doing through me. And that pride begins to well up. And I'm here to tell you, pride diminishes the gospel. All right? It really, really does. We're supposed to walk in humility. Again, think of Paul's Greek meaning, Greek's name's meaning, little. Okay? He was dependent upon the Spirit of God to do the work. Again, that's a little bit of a side note, but, but I thought it was important to, to, to point out. But here's what I really like about this passage. What, do you think people are fickle? I'm, really? I mean, come on. Fickle? I'm, I'm steadfast. I know where I'm going. Come on. The fickleness of people, I just love it, because after this happened, these people were worshiping them as gods. And then it says some Jews came down from Antioch and Iconium. Remember, this is where they ran from. This is where they they fled from. Those people followed them to do damage to their ministry. It can happen, okay? So they followed them. I lost my place. Where am I? Boom, boom, boom. And won the crowd over, and they stoned Paul. And they dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be stoned. But Paul was so compelled to do what God asked him to do that he allowed that. I mean, he didn't allow it, but he walked into that. He just, okay, this is part of it. And, and, and verse 20, here's, I just love this. But it says, after the disciples had gathered around Paul, who had been stoned supposedly to death, he got up and went back into the city. Yeah. Now, whether he was dead or not, Scripture really doesn't say. But if he wasn't dead, he was pretty close to it. 
So whatever way you look at it, this was a miraculous event that happened in his life. He got up, went back in the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby, where they preached the gospel in that city and won large number of disciples. They kept moving forward. They never let anything push him back. If you don't want to hear it, I'll shake the dust off my feet. If you try to resist me, I'll tell you to get out of my way because they want to hear the gospel. If you stone me and beat me, that's okay. I'll go someplace else and I'll preach the gospel. Can you imagine having that compelling drive to just keep moving forward, all right? And then after that, it says they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So they backtracked. So they've, they've been on this missionary journey. They've gone through all these towns. They've proclaimed the gospel. People have come to faith. Little, little communities of faith have sprung up. And then they backtrack. And, and then it says in verse 22, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Making disciples. First pass through. People came to faith. Second pass back, let's put some infrastructure together. What can we do to make sure that you get taught? What can we do? What can we put in place? This is where they, they, they'd sometimes put, you know, put in place elders and pastors, and they'd build little communities of faith so that these conversions, these people who have come into faith, have some place to grow. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the initial response is nothing if there isn't a garden for them to grow in, all right? So we see that they, they went out, they spread this good news. It wasn't always received well. That's a little bit of an understatement. But there had to be that compelling reason for them to do that. There has to be that compelling reason for me. And this is, again, what God was stirring in my heart. Am I compelled? Am I compelled? Is the gospel so powerful to me, that I can't help but share it with those around me? Is the gospel so important to me to understand that anybody outside of Christ will spend eternity outside of a relationship with their Heavenly Father? Man. I don't want to step on toes, but I'm going to do this anyway. I didn't know if I was, but God really brought something to mind to me. I love the the two greatest commandments which, which cover everything. What are they? You know them, right? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, your mind, your spirit, your soul. And thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. Love, compassion, care. I'm all about that. But what God shared with me, and again, here, this is the mirror, okay? What God really shared with me over the last couple of weeks is do I love them enough to share the gospel of Christ with them? Do I love them enough to let them know that they've got a heavenly father that loves them and wants to free them from sin and wants to spend eternity with them in a reconciled relationship? Or do I just love them enough to go shovel the snow off their driveway? And again, this is my mirror, okay? Because the gospel, as we saw in, in 13 and 14, isn't always received well. Christ came proclaiming the kingdom of God and they crucified him. Why? Because it was a major shift in their thinking. I love this quote. I'm reading a book. I love this quote from Philip Yancey. It was in the book. 
He didn't write it, but it was a quote. How could telling people to be nice to one another get a man crucified? What government would execute Mr. Rogers or Captain Kangaroo? Please hear my heart. Please hear my heart. I'm all about being kind, sharing resources, physically taking care of people around me. But, but God is speaking to me and it asked me the last couple of weeks, are you compelled enough to speak the truth of who I am so they have an option, an option to receive that? Do you love them that much? Or are you too afraid of being shunned? Maybe not being the most popular person at school, at work, whatever. True love works for the best to the object of its affection. What's the best to the object of the person that I love? Evelyn, I want you to be reconciled to God. I want to spend eternity with you in his presence. And I love you enough that I want you to know that from here to there, okay? What God stirred in me personally was, does his word, does his teaching, does the truth of the gospel still amaze me? Does it still stir up belief and faith in my heart and my spirit? Or since I started this walk back in 19... It's just become who I am. I hope God's speaking to hearts, but but quite honestly, this message is for me, and I've known it from the beginning. God has, has done a work in me in the last few weeks. Thanks a lot, Pastor Scott, by the way. And, and he's asked me, am I compelled? Am I compelled to share the gospel? And there, there may be some of you that have that same journey in your hearts, and that's great if you do. And there may be some, honestly, there may be some who, wow, I've never heard the gospel before. I've never understood that Christ... Jesus was a gift from the Heavenly Father to come down and be the sacrificial crucified Lamb of God to cover me, my sin, by His righteousness so that I can be reconciled to God the Father and live in eternity with Him. I've never understood that before. You mean all I have to do is Accept that? Yeah. For those of you that are out there, maybe online, maybe in this room, that have just never even made that decision, yeah, that's all you have to do. Receive that gift. Tell somebody around you that you did and and watch that growth process start to happen. That maturing process start to happen. In conclusion, I want to read a, a verse... I'd like to say that, you know, God just revealed this to me. Well, he did. He revealed it to me through Pastor Scott. Pastor Scott said, this would be a great verse to include in your message, and I agree. So much so that I'm going to end the message with it. I was going to have everybody read it, but, but to me sometimes that comes across like, I'm not really listening to it. 
So what I want to do instead is I want, I want you just to kind of center on, just center on God. Quiet your hearts. Just quiet your hearts. You can close your eyes if you want. You don't have to. But listen as I read this. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 20. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. But all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Which is, God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has, listen, committed to me, to you, to us, the message of reconciliation, that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. If you haven't been reconciled to God today, I implore you. Be reconciled to God. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> I, just, I, I just don't understand. Why wouldn't you be reconciled to God? Why wouldn't you take, upon, take that gift that he's given you? I, I implore you to be reconciled with God. And I, am, I challenge us as a church to implore everyone that's in our space in some way, some form, some fashion to be reconciled to God. So Father, we thank you. Father, I thank you because I, I know what you've done in my heart the last couple of weeks. I thank you that your spirit works in us to stir up those good works that are within us. And I pray that as, as we go out of this building today that that we would have a new sense of passion, a new sense of being compelled to share the truth of who you are. And Father, I also pray because I know <laughs> that some of the critique of my, my teaching and my preaching is I can come across a little harsh when I'm passionate. So Father, if that's happened, I pray that you would just quiet hearts as well. Let them know that I'm speaking to myself. I'm not meaning to be harsh not at all meaning to be judgmental. So stir up, Father God, in me a new love for the truth of the gospel that I would be so compelled to present it in every opportunity I have that that's all that I could do. In Jesus' name, amen.